if I could just knowledge bomb everybody with 15 years of experience, if you're going to start in the gym, here's my number one recommendation. The gym is one hour of your day or maybe two if you're really getting it. What are you doing for the other 23 hours of your day? When you're in the gym, if you have not prepared to be in the gym, you're not going to get the results. You're not going to feel good while you're there because you're not going to have the energy. You're, if you're not eating the proper foods and taking care of yourself and giving yourself enough nutrition, you're not going to have the energy. And if you're not sleeping, like everything's, everything's bad. We're, good. We're live here on another episode of Wag Attack. Today, it's myself and Curtis. Uh, last the- time, I had a, a nice one-on-one with Wally. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this time I think it's going to fall under the health and fitness category. Yes. Um, yes. First of all, Curtis, go ahead and introduce yourself. And can you talk um, a little bit about your background with CrossFit, your background with nutrition, um, and pretty much your journey from a health and fitness perspective the last 10 years? Uh, yeah, I think it actually goes back to about the last 15. So I'm almost 32, but that's, you know, I've been working out as since I was a late teenager. Um, really, you know, my story really begins in what is probably sixth or seventh grade. Uh, our father, he, we had our older brother, he had, uh, BT, who is the football coach. And he yeah, he's ran, a, he uh, played, uh, for the San Diego Chargers. He mm-hmm. was a linebacker. Yeah. He ran skills and drills here in the, in the local area where we lived in. Our older brother was a part of that. And so, um, our father bought just like a, a weight set for our garage, like a Smith machine style weight set. And, uh, he was training our older brother and he just started to train you and I, um, and I think it was like fifth or sixth grade. And I remember that I had to do back squats. I think it was four by eight and there's 35 pounds in the bar on both sides, which now is about 115 pounds. But I remember after doing that, that I literally cried because it hurt so <laughs> fucking bad. Uh, <clears throat> And so just as a testament to anybody who's like getting into fitness for the first time or they're just starting, like your body's adaptation to respond well to the stresses that you're putting on it physically, you have to develop those through consistent stresses being on the, added on the body. And then the body starts to recognize, oh, hey, these things are consistently happening. Let me help the body evolve, a.k.a. put on muscle mass, a variety so of other things let's to talk help about out. You. So let me come back to yeah. the story here. <clears throat> I was just saying that, you know, even that I'm, been doing this successfully for going into the second part of two decades i still started in a spot that most people are going to feel like when they start fitness so fast forward from that point you know i did some working out in junior high school and then it was a lot of sports playing and once the sports playing kicked in i think it was sophomore year playing football is really when i started to lift weights and that like, went th- i would say lift weights from a um, Olympic weightlifting and from a plyometrics perspective. Correct. And then that goes into the remainder of high school and then as immediately after high school stops, played baseball, played football, wrestled. You and I traveled around playing on a paintball circuit for a long time. Um, and we also did a variety of other things that were very physical. But we then got into what was bodybuilding at the time, but we were at a Gold's Gym essentially doing CrossFit before we even knew CrossFit was CrossFit. Yeah, uh, we were true. working and doing a bunch of basically uh, Olympic weightlifting movements. I remember we doing a, a lot of the movements, Rockland, plyometrics. Rockland CrossFit guys used to get us in to go in and 
try to go work out with them, and I didn't realize it at the time, but that was the time when they were um, at the CrossFit Games. They were studs from, I think it was like 2010, 2014. Yeah, yeah they, somewhere they were at in that the CrossFit range. Games. Yeah, they fell off the face of the earth after that thing, but uh, yeah, like we were doing inverted handstand push-ups. It was like, it was a wall walk, but not really a wall walk. We did a like a reverse handstand push-up, and we were doing those in, in the walkway where the bathrooms were, where, at the Gold's Gym, and They'd yell at us, don't put your shoes on the wall. But you and I, we would just sit there and be if it wasn't hard enough, I mean, we're 18 to 21 years old. We're basically right. testosterone producing machines. If it wasn't hard enough, we, we were like, let's make it harder. And that was our MO. And, you know, it was very unscientific. You, but you and I would go in and we always had, we had this, this methodology and it was heavy weights, not out of control, followed up by basically endurance training. And that was our philosophy. If you yeah. sit back and you looked at that, so we go do a bunch of back squats, and then we do like uh, ridiculous one amount of rep, box jump, box jump hype. <laughs> yeah, but it would be five of them in succession. We'd go like a small box, uh, a slightly larger, slightly larger, large, elevated, large, right. and we'd you know we'd jump over them, and we'd go, come through them a couple different times. We had a plyometric ladder. It was basically a lot of explosive movements. It was it was sprinting style explosive movements for fifteen to twenty seconds on repeat for about forty five minutes. Obviously, we, we took some breaks in there and changed some things up. But I mean, we were doing double unders with a two pound rope. It's and, true, and, and so we didn't really know what we were doing. But you and I developed our bodies pretty well uh, to the point. You know, I'm six foot. I was about two hundred twenty five pounds at that point. A lot of muscle for being twenty years old at the time. And then I think you were about two forty five. Too big. Yeah, we were about you're you're about an inch inch and a half taller than I am. So um, even though we are twins, that was where we were at. And then so I took about a year and a half off when we started our company, Three Ventures, and that was like that was one of my biggest um, not regrets but mistakes. I really wish that I would have kept going to the gym, but I had this mindset that if I wanted to start this business, I went all in. You know, um, I quit my job. You and Wally convinced me to quit my job. I sold my motorcycle. I stopped going to college for a semester. I just, I, I cold turkey to everything. I remember I was working for the guy down the street and it was like whatever money I made from him, I paid our bills. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we were, you, you literally we were like me. these, we were like these, you know, outlaws living in the house, like not going to school, you know, starting this company. Mom and dad were like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, hey, we love you guys, but shut up. We're working. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, all of that happened, sort of the business. Like a, a year and a half later, I remember one of our friends, her name was Jordan. She had seen me beforehand and she saw me after and she's like, what happened? Like, did you stop working out? And I was like, yeah, I haven't been to the gym in a year and a half. And that was the cue when it popped up in my brain. I'm like, yeah, I need to get back in the oh, gym. Oh, I again. don't have a girlfriend. And she pretty much uh, just, she just called me, me out. She just burned me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think she was like, what, four or five years older than we yeah. were at the time. And she was college educated. Edumacated. Uh, <laughs> Curtis, clearly not. That, yeah, clearly not. And I think we are, you know, two years in and she had a master's degree and she was hanging out with us. I mean, obviously, because we are, we didn't really realize that we were smart at the time, but we just, we are very headstrong. So got back into the gym. We ended up getting an office space. Um, that's right around the time we started picking up and playing paintball again. Paintball costs a lot of money to play. And we started to have a little bit of money, but we weren't really paying bills. We weren't really adults yet, but we were running a business. And so that's when we started playing and, and that's when we played X-Ball and I never really came off the field. So I was like, I need to get in better shape because I can't be running around like a crazy man for 20 minutes straight. So I found CrossFit. And Which also conveniently happened to be like three doors down from, from our, our office. From our office. Yeah. So you didn't have to go anywhere. It was one spot. I could just go to the office and bing, bang, boom, we're done. And I showed up and the first workout just floored me. 
And and I remembered because I wrestled for eight years, and I was like, I'm hooked. I'm hooked. And I never looked back. So by the time I found CrossFit, I think that was September of 2013. It's now February of 2023. So I've been doing CrossFit for almost a decade. Uh, competitively, I did my first CrossFit competition, a really local one when I wasn't really that in shape. I think it was 2014. Fast forward, I got done with college, um, middle of 2015. I didn't really start to get good at CrossFit until I started sleeping a lot more. Um, and you know, you yeah, because most people don't realize, you know, you might be a, a bro a little bit, but you know, you uh, have a computer science degree. Yes, and yes, uh, that's that's no joke. So yeah, running a technology consulting firm, getting a degree. Uh, I didn't sleep uh, every Tuesday night for a year and a half straight because we only had a, a big client and that was my only time to be able to get the client work done and still do my homework and go to work 30 hours a week at, no, no, that job was over. At that it was time. a lot. <clears throat> it was a lot. Yeah. So once I started sleeping, then I had started to really feel, I'm like, oh, wow, the output here is astronomically better. I'll talk about recovery and fitness and those types of things coming up. But to finish off my story, um, I basically just started training as hard as I could. Uh, I went to a gym out here in the Sacramento area where a guy that had a pretty good reputation for just being a good athlete, and I got to be around other athletes or better myself, so they elevated my game. In the CrossFit world. In the CrossFit world, yes. You know, I got a... I worked with Mark Bell a couple days. You know, Ben Smith was there uh, a day working with us. So um, the Cal ben Strength Smith guys is the former, former uh, 2015 CrossFit Games, CrossFit Games champion, male champion. Yeah, fittest man in the world in 2015. Uh, Mark Bell, who runs uh, <clears throat> the, uh, he has the slingshot. Yep. So he's actually worked with me a couple times on deadlifting and a, a couple other things because his gyms in West Sac. CrossFit Iron Mile was out in Thomas. They're hop, skip, and a jump away from each other, and he gave us some some gear a couple of times. The Cal Strength guys who are in a Olympic weightlifting gym here in California, they've been there, went through a couple of seminars with them, uh, and then a couple of gymnastics seminars with some people who were um, who were on was Grid League at the time. Grid League is kind of since folded, and it's not really a thing, but if you're a superstar athlete, you're on a grid league team. And so to be able to be around those folks and then some of the athletes that I ended up competing with as team members, uh, regionals the next year, it was just, uh, it really so elevated let's, my, let's, let's my st- capabilities. Let's stop there for a, a little bit, you know, so people kind of got in your background, your, your history and everything else, yeah. but let's, let's introduce the, cro- the world of CrossFit. So prior to, I want to say it was like 2019 cr- or 2018, somewhere right around there, CrossFit, the CrossFit Games is basically like an Olympic-style format where there is a predetermined set of workouts that you do, except it's a tournament. And it, there used to be three rounds of the tournament. There was the Open, which anybody and their brother could join in, regardless of skill level. Yep. And it ranked you in your region across the world, and you can also see your global yeah, There's rank. 16 regions across the world. And then if you ranked high enough in that region, which was like well, what percent of time- 1%? I don't know the percentages off the top of my head, but basically what they were is if you were in the top 20 as an individual or the top 15 teams in your region, you went on to the next stage. Yeah, and I would say there's somewhere in the ballpark of like four in, to 5,000 in people region, or four to 5,000 teams. Yeah, for individual males in our region, I think there was a couple thousand, like four to 5,000. Yeah, so you have to be the top 10 or top 15 in that 
just to go to the second stage. So for the teams, which right, is which the, was called regionals. Yeah, the teams were three men, three women. At, this is at the time. Um, team of six. All of the CrossFit gyms in the region would compete to send their best people on a team to compete in what's called the affiliate cup. So all the CrossFit gyms, they're actually affiliates. CrossFit doesn't own any of them. The people that own the gyms, they pay an affiliate fee every year to CrossFit. So uh, one of the things they did was they basically just were trying to figure out like who had the best athletes at their gym that weren't the individuals, but to make up a team. And the team competition was really cool because it didn't emphasize this, the skill sets of any one athlete. Everybody had to be pretty damn good, but then you also had to work in cahoots together. Um, to be completely candid and honest with you, right? And I never really put the effort into. Actually, I put a lot of effort in, but I didn't quite have the capabilities to jump into that individual skill set. Right. One because my well, there's a certain biological makeup that you have to have. I'm a to little be too tall CrossFit, for CrossFit. Yes, yeah. which is like you want to be somewhere between five eight and five eleven. Uh, like and five six and five nine. Yeah. yeah, and and pretty stocky because it's a combination of gymnastics, it's a combination of cardio, it's a combination of Olympic weightlifting, yes, and plyometrics. You know, it's a, it's a, a lot of that high high intensity interval training to a degree, or just really crazy workouts like go Google Murph. Um, and then go do that in 110 degree so it's heat. A, it's a wide range of workouts across a different genre of modalities of fitness. So yep. I might do a 500-pound deadlift, and then somebody might be like, so go run a one-minute mile. Let's circle sorry, back here to mile. you know to the CrossFit uh, definition for folks who you know are, are out there learning about it. Yes. So the second round is regionals. Yes. But the third round is the CrossFit Games. That's where they crown the fittest on the earth. Yes. yes. And so you have to be top what in regionals to make it to CrossFit so Games? There was time? Eight, there was eight regionals. So the 16 regions, two regions fed into each regional at the time. And the top five men and women advanced and the top five teams advanced. Okay. So, so there's 30, in your region, there's 30 teams. Generally that, speaking, four to 5,000 people at a minimum. Are competing to enter regionals for and then at one the half, end for of, one the half regionals, of the spots for one half of the spots right. in regionals, and then Southern California is vying for the other half of the spots. And that was the California region at the time, and I'm on the same page yeah. here. So only five teams and five people from that region make it to the CrossFit Games. So you guys can start to get an understanding. We're talking less than one percent of the people who enter even get a chance to make it to regionals and less than that actually make it to the CrossFit games. So you got to train with a guy who actually won the individual male at the CrossFit games in 2015, Ben yeah. Smith. Yeah. Him and his brothers came to the gym for a day. So, I mean, uh, wild. So there's a lot of fitness that's wrapped up in that. Okay. Yeah. And so I think a lot of the challenges that some folks have that they might be able to pull some benefit from your journey and your experiences so you, you get down this path and you start doing competitive CrossFit, but what do you sort of fall in love with along the way? Because you started coaching, you started developing a reputation for yourself. And, so I th- I think and what are the what are those pillars mm-hmm. of fitness that help fifth grade you yeah. get started for the first time? That help taking a year off, getting shunned by you know a, 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 an attractive female who you're like, oh man, that sucks. You know, <laughs> staying motivated to do that, and then you know, what are the pieces of the pillar that have allowed you to the last twenty years be able to maintain this and sustain this? Because I think that's a struggle that a lot of people have. So I know I packed in like three questions there. 
But yeah, let me kind of take you through the rest of the journey. So I talked to you about everything up to about 2015. So 2016, I qualified in the team to go to regionals. I just had a really good year in the open. Uh, there were the people that I was training with. It wasn't just the six people that went on the floor. There was a couple other people that were part of that team effort. And so uh, we, I think we qualified in sixth in the region out of 15. Like we didn't do a bad job. It was, uh, I remember Mark Bell, he had talked to Ben. He's like, oh yeah, your team qualified with you, but like, are they still going to be there without you? And Ben's like, no, they qualified without me. He's like, oh, that's impressive. So, cause he knows how much it takes. I mean, Mark Bell's a, like, he's a pretty renowned guy in the fitness industry and the powerlifting world. So go to regionals. And then, um, at the end of that year, I moved to Colorado. So I scouted out a gym. Uh, they'd sent two teams to regionals for four years straight, a team of the games, one of those teams, the games for four years straight. I'm like, this is the place I get there. And it's like the Mecca of CrossFit dude, 600 member gym, massive warehouse. There's 20 rings hanging and they have five full-time coaching staff. I'm like, I just walked into this place and I'm not the third person in the gym anymore. I'm like the ninth person in the gym. So I just walked into a place where I then have to continue to, you know, elevate myself. And so I got to train with a bunch of really good people there. And, unbeknownst to um, most CrossFit gyms, I think we had two really good females to every one male. That's an anomaly in CrossFit. So our females, we actually had more good females than we did men. Um, There's no knock on the guys. The guys were good, but the women were better. And we had more of them. So, uh, and and some of these are like, you know, uh, NCAA women's national champion for swimming was one of the athletes there. Uh, some of them were a couple women that were in their late thirties and early forties. Uh, I mean, just some general badasses. So I was there for about two years. That was about the peak of my competition career. I went to the Granite Games one time, which is in uh, Minnesota, and then I went again the next year and competed in a team of three pro division. That was twenty eighteen. Moved back to California. Uh, I didn't go to regionals when I was there at all. Um, Probably would have went in 2017, but the gym messed up the team structures. Uh, they had seven guys on the primary team because that was a team that kept going to the games, and so everybody that wanted a shot, well, I put my name in the other hat because I'm like, I want to go to regionals and get that experience again. Give me any one of the guys that were on that team that were trying to go to regionals on the team that went to the and games. Put them on your team, and you guys would have made it. And we would have made it. It was the most frustrating thing in the world. Um, so anyway... 2018, compete in the pro division. You know, I'm I'm out at the Grand and Games competing with guys that are at the games themselves. Uh, it's pretty wild. You get out there for the first time, and you know, you throw down with them. and And I actually did a lot better than I thought I would. And then I there's a couple of workouts like we just slayed it, and then there's one workout we just absolutely got fucking annihilated. <laughs> but uh, came back to California. Went to the gym here that you were going to. That's not really the gym that I wanted to go to. I, I was kind of trying to find myself because I really loved my move to Colorado and the training and the people that I was around. And I felt like the floor got ripped out from underneath me. And so anybody who's on a fitness journey, you're going to hit these highs and lows of your journey. That was like a really low in my journey. And I didn't really know how to reestablish myself. I didn't know if I wanted to compete anymore. Like I didn't have the people around me. I didn't want to drive back out to Sacramento because I was going to college at the time. And that's the only reason why I wanted to drive an hour to train. You know, it's 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back. And so kept kept training, but I didn't necessarily have the fire that I had. COVID hits. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, I skipped over a very important step. While I was going through that phase, the local gym owner, he actually paid for me to go get my CrossFit cert. So 
mind you, I've competed at an elite level or what's basically considered like the pro level. Um, not saying that I was and the not best. in bodybuilding, but in CrossFit, in CrossFit, which yeah. is a big difference. I mean, it's the elite level. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, he asked, and, and I've been around a, I, I kind of glazed over some of the coaching staff that I got to be around in Colorado. And I kind of gave you a little uh, insight into what I got pre Colorado. Uh, and he wanted me to be a coach and I had a ton of insight and knowledge and practical experience. I mean, 10, uh, hundreds of hours of like actual pr- in practice experience. I go and I get my cert, start coaching classes. I think it's two or three weeks in the classes. My classes are at 40 people. This is at a 200 member gym, max. I mean, actually, not even 200 members, 160. So 25% of the, the gym is coming to my classes on Mondays and Wednesdays. And I didn't realize it at the time, but basically I took my training approach to the way I ran a class. And it was really cool to coach that class for two years and see majority of it was like 40 to 60 year old people. I saw the progression of those people. Their mobility got better. Their posture was better. They felt better. They were more fit. And it was the approach that I had taken from my training. And I got to see this thing shine through and work for those people. Um, COVID hits 2020. I stopped coaching just because I'm not in love with it. Kind of ruined my relationship with the gym because I felt like I was always at the gym, but I wasn't working out. <laughs> so. Uh, I switched gyms to a gym that opened up here in town and I'm glad I did. That's where I'm still at because a bunch of my friends went over there and CrossFit's really a big community thing. And so I wanted to be around my community and some of the fellow fire breathers and just the people that are just generally go-getters. Okay. So he wanted me to coach there and I ended up not coaching just because I, I realized that it wasn't necessarily for me. And so that's where I started doing the programming for the gym. And for those people who don't know, programming is where you're actually the person responsible for putting workouts together Correct. that are on a weekly basis. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and one on Saturday. And there's a lot of relationship between the workouts because they work on either complementary muscle groups or they work on different combinations of strength training or high intensity, uh, interval groups, um, or different types Monostructural of structural endurance. Thank all you. Kinds of things, yeah. Not that educated in this. So appreciate you, you know, hopping in there, bike riding, rowing, swimming, running. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, a healthy combination that builds strength, but doesn't overwork you. Right. And that's Correct. a very, very big deal at CrossFit gyms because you really, you're going there for, because it's group fitness. Yeah. You know, you obviously went there to compete at a certain period of time. But most folks who go to CrossFit, they're doing it for, you know, A, their health, but B, it's a lot of mental discipline and a lot of mental training. And it makes you, um, you know, uh, get better Mm -hmm. under intense conditions. And that's one of the things I love about CrossFit. But you were the one putting together all of that programming, which is incredibly important because now you've got all this professional experience. You know, you've ran the journey in through your 20s. But now what do you learn in your late twenties, early thirties, as you start programming for that gym. So yeah, that was a, a, I'm glad that you really know me too, cause you're able to help guide a little bit of this conversation. That was a very key inflection and turning point. So I had to then take what I was doing for classes, right? Cause I, I was essentially coaching a quarter of the gym at a CrossFit gym here in town. And then I switched to the other one. <coughs> Sorry. The guy here in town, he knew who I was. He like I, I'm not a like a super popular person, but there's a lot of people at the time that knew me in the area. And yeah, if like, you're in the CrossFit community, you know people in the community. Exactly. So 
He's like, hey, man, I want you to coach here. And I'm like, hey, you know what? It's not for me. I've ran a couple classes for him, just kind of ad hoc when he needed somebody to cover. But I actually worked with him to develop his coaches. So on a Saturday, one Saturday every month for like half a year, a year, I was helping develop his coaching staff. And at the same time, I was running the programming. And so what I walked them through is I was like, hey, this is the methodology for programming what's the intent of the workout what's the approach that everybody should take what is their mindset that they should have while they're doing the workout those are my pillars of my programming my programming would span over the course of the month i'd have a, a or a month or two months whatever the cycle was and then i'd break it down by day and by week and, have and let's also address in there too that there is what we call in crossfit an rx program which is basically as prescribed rx uh-huh pharmacy. And then there is the second piece of that, which is a scaled piece. Now, I think a lot of people out there are scared of CrossFit. Um, they think it's intense. They think it's, you know, uh, for people who are ex-college athletes or ex-high school athletes. And the reality is it's really for everybody. And that scaled um, workout is basically an on-ramp to be able to do the RX programming. Right. So not only are you having to do the RX programming, but you're also having to, for the same workout, having to do the scaled programs because we have, at least at the CrossFit gym we go to, we have a pretty diverse group of people, backgrounds, genders, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, all varying levels of athleticism. Right. And so it's important. Yes. Because in the classes, there's a combination of anybody and everybody. Yeah. So programming is the backbone, it's the lifeblood of a gym. Uh, I had to account for everything. The amount of equipment we had, the gym space was actually really small when the owner had since moved, and I had known that at the time. But part of my job was getting 20 people in a space that was really only meant for 10 and using the equipment we had and getting people a good experience. So not only was I solving the programming problem of making sure that everybody got a workout and that you could scale the workout, but the equipment was used efficiently, the space was used efficiently, and I was giving everybody a wide range of workouts across a broad spectrum of different fitness modalities. And so translation, you're never doing the same workout every day or it doesn't feel that way. So I did that for a year and a half for him, and then we moved to his other space. We had He had went to a, a different programming that's online that uh, is ran by a big gym out of Tennessee that a lot of gyms follow, and it's cost-effective. So, And also, to be honest wasn't as good. You didn't have the time, right? And I that's, didn't have the that's time. That's the other thing. Yeah. So let's let's talk about, so you, you program for a couple of years, you're doing that. Now, along the way, and I, I think this is the point that I really want to get into because as we talk about some practical tips, you know, towards the middle the end of this podcast, along the way, you're having to figure out nutrition. You're having to figure out- There's a lot of things. Your health. You're having to figure out your mobility. So- so let's obviously we talked about your background, your experience. You're you're very well rounded, very well versed in the world of fitness. But to be healthy, you don't always have to be in the gym. The gym is a way to be healthy, but there's also other tracks of being healthy that you need to do in tandem to then also be healthy at the gym. So let's talk about some of those. If I could just knowledge bomb everybody with 15 years of experience, if you're going to start in the gym, here's my number one recommendation. The gym is one hour of your day, or maybe two if you're really getting it. What are you doing for the other 23 hours of your day? You're, when you're in the gym, if you have not prepared to be in the gym, 
you're not going to get the results. You're not going to feel good while you're there because you're not going to have the energy. Okay. You're, if you're not eating the proper foods and taking care of yourself and giving yourself enough nutrition, you're not going to have the energy. And if you're not sleeping, like everything's, everything's bad. The mental tenacity, because you've been sleeping and you've been taking care of your body and you're not tired to stay on top of the workout because working out is very mental. It's one of the most mental things that I've ever done when you competed at an extremely high level. You have to be mentally aware of everything you're doing the entire time you're working out. Because yeah. if you're not, you're going to get hurt. You're going to lose. You're going to you're going to fall behind. Something bad's going to happen. And, and let's give some context here, really quickly. So a workout could be something like you have to do three rope climbs, then you have to run 200 meters, and then after you run 200 meters, you could do eight you know deadlifts with 225 pounds. And then a hundred pull-ups and then, then do eight again and, and then, then go yeah, back and then again. 20 pull-ups. So, to, and then let's say you got to do that four times and your score is how long it takes you to do it. Right. Lowest time wins. So now we put that into context for people now continue when you talk about energy. So that's just being able to have your mind, right? So you need to be able to sleep. Well, sleep is also what's responsible for helping your body recover. So your body feels refreshed. So anybody who's worked out for, you know, four days in a row knows that on day one, you feel a lot better than you do on day four because your body's fatigued. Sleep is one of the mechanisms that's going to help your body recover. Nutrition is another one of those mechanisms. So if you didn't eat enough during the day or you didn't feel yourself well enough the day before and you go to the gym in the morning, you're going to feel it. You're not going to have energy because you need to eat food to move. That's, we all expense, our caloric intake is your baseline calories that you need to support your biology without movement it's just your daily function of your heart beating your lungs going etc once you add movement in there that adds on top of it food is how we give ourselves energy to do those things so if you're not sleeping and you're not eating it's not the right foods at this point but if you're not eating you're not prepared okay so, and hydration is another one of those things I'll just lightly group into eating, even though it's not really the right category for it. So that's being prepared to be in the gym. All right. That's what is more important. I would rather somebody be prepared before they go into the gym and go to the gym four days a week than be unprepared and go to the gym six days a week. Because the person that's going to be prepared, when they're at the gym, they're going to enjoy it more. When they get done with their workouts, they're going to feel better. They're not going to hate their experience in the gym. And when they're not at the gym, their body's going to be recovering. So they're going to be getting ready to do the next workout. That's sustainable. And it's going to produce results better because the stress hormones in the body, the bad stress hormones, they're going to be able to keep those in check. So that's just, you know, being prepared for the gym. Once you're in the gym, there's a couple of other things that contribute to your ability to uh, basically develop your body. And that's your body's, uh, getting your body to have good adaptations uh, to the physical resp- the physical loads and forces that you're putting on your body and how well it's going to recognize that, oh, hey, I need to help my body become better and put on more muscle, be able to do these things that, that the brain is asking the body to do. Okay, so let's talk about that a little bit. You said, you know, being prepared for with sleep. Is there any tools or things that you like to use that help you track your sleep or your recovery, stuff like that? Yeah, so 
I I haven't been wearing it recently, but I used to wear a whoop pretty religiously for four years. What's a whoop? A whoop is a wearable strap that you have on your wrist. Uh, you don't really ever have to take it off, but a, a whoop's going to track your sleep. It's going to track, uh, which which re- correlates to your recovery. It gives you a score out of 100. It's going to track your workouts. Basically, what it's doing is it's tracking your biometrics. Sorry, no, not your biometrics. It's tracking your, essentially, your cardiovascular system, and it's tracking that over time. So and, uh, a, a great tool for you know people to learn how to sleep. I think that's a really good point. Some people are going to say they feel well-rested on four hours of sleep. Some people are going to say they need eight or nine hours of sleep per night. Everybody's body's different. Um, what that really comes down loop to... strap, I think, gives you a good tool to figure that out because it, it, does. it determines, from my understanding, it takes your heart rate and the variances between your low heart rate and your high heart rate. And the higher the variances are, um, usually the less stressed you are. But if you have a low variance between your resting heart rate and your highest heart rate for the day, then they know that you're usually not as well recovered, right? Because your resting heart rate could either be... If your resting heart rate's elevated, that's usually an indicator that the body's been under a lot of stress and it hasn't had the ample time to recover yet. So what's really good about the WHOOP data is it's aggregating your data over time. So it's got all of your last week's worth of data. I've had days where I've only slept like five hours because I just got jolted and I woke up or I only like I had to catch a plane or something. And it's like, hey, you're 78% recovered. But what my whoop strap knows is, what did I do for the last five days? Okay, well, you were way primed to go and do some really you know, heavy physical exertion, but you didn't, and then you got five hours of sleep. So you're still pretty primed. And you could use the, tool, you could use the whoop strap as a tool to understand, hey, how hard should I be going in the gym today? And I talked a lot about... I picked this up when I was in Colorado, but I since talked about about green, yellow, and red light days. And I used my whoop strap to help me understand those things. Green days are focus on intensity because you need to train intensity, especially in CrossFit. Yellow days are pick 50 to 70% of the work that you're doing and maybe only do that work on your total volume that you need to do for the day or focus on two out Quality of three. Quality movement quality of movements and certain things that you want to work on, but don't necessarily work about worry about your scores. Like is red a no go. Red is a no go. Red is okay. So you're, you're, Oh, you have, you are in debt in terms of the need to recover and do not add more debt on. So this is a, a great tool, right? So yes. Uh, whoop.com W H O O P.com. Yep. You guys can go there um, and, and look at it if you'd like. So we, that's just the sleep side, yep. right? So sleep is very important. Obviously, um, we were talking about being sustainable. If somebody's wanting to be healthy, yep. obviously going to the gym or doing some type of physical exertion is great for that. And making sure that you do that a small number of, you know, a consistent number of days a week, but you also are doing that when you're recovered mm-hmm. is going to be incredibly helpful to making it feel sustainable over time. But now the role that nutrition plays, what has been the, oh, this is the most, this is the bombshell sort of important learning for you up until this point that, nutrition plays for your overall physical performance. Okay, so I have to give a backstory here. So for anybody that's listening, they understand how I've gotten to the point where I've gotten to. I'm going to give you what I call anecdata, which is my anecdotes, and it's the data that I have on myself, but because I'm playing with making myself better, it's specific to me. But there are studies out there that have really validated that my findings with myself are actually true just in general for human beings. 
I've always aimed to eat pretty clean. If it was heavily processed or, or it didn't make me feel good, I avoided it. And so I didn't necessarily take a scientific tune because I didn't have the, t- it's not that I didn't have the time. I was so focused on like going to school and starting a business, doing these other things. I just said, Hey, if I ate something and it made me feel like junk, I'm not eating that thing. And I think about what was okay, in there. Let's be specific here. When you say it made you feel like junk, first off, did you have to start to eat healthy to develop an ability to figure out foods and how they would make you feel? Or did you, have you just always had a sense for this? You have to, that's a really good question. You have to actually feel when you feel good. You have to, you have to know the feeling. So if all you do is you eat fast food every day, you would probably have to make your own food for a week. And I'm not talking like eating sodas and candies and shit like that. I'm basically saying, Hey, you know, instead of eating fried food, like you pulled out the fried food and then you, you make yourself your own hamburgers at home or something. Right. You'll, you'll actually feel there's a little bit of a difference because you're not getting some of the ingredients in the food that might be making you feel bad. But if all you're doing is eating bad food, it's going to be very hard for you to understand when you don't do something well. Okay. But but this is important. So you clean, you clean your nutrition, you clean your diet you start to generate an ability to be like, oh man, this makes me feel lethargic. Yes. This or is, it, I was going to get into it that. It makes my allergies get worse. Yes. Or it gives me a little headache. Or my knees ache. Or it makes you feel achy, causes inflammation. Okay, yes. continue. So there, for people out there that might have a bad diet right now, everybody knows if you stay up too late and you watch Netflix and you wake up the next day, you feel zapped on energy. It's the same concept. So they reach for caffeine or something of the sort. So if you eat something midday and it gives you that that uh, hangover where you just feel tired, that could be an indicator of like maybe you shouldn't have this thing in your diet at that time. I'm not really speaking in super scientific terms at the moment. We'll get to scientific terms. But I'm just trying to give practical advice for people that are out there. Um, when it comes to your nutrition, one variable test. So if you want to test something or you want to start with this, this is how I did it was one variable test. If I ate one thing, let's just say it's Taco Bell. If I ate Taco Bell, I'm like, oh, man, that made me feel like crap because I ate Taco Bell in 2012 when I was in college and I wasn't really doing a ton of working out and I was just, you know, a hungry college kid and I ate 12 tacos at 12 o'clock at night because <laughs> I just got off work. Like, that was an option and it was cheap. So you notice, though, over time that that doesn't make you feel good. So it's like, okay, no Taco Bell. And then it becomes, okay, um, no cheese. Uh, okay, no alcohol. Okay. Um, oh, high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. Oh, man, that's an everything. Yeah, I just threw out a bunch of stuff, but it's the high fructose corn syrup that didn't make you feel good. And then it's sucrose or it's sugar um, or it's okay. very specific types of food. Like for me, avocados hurt my stomach. So you isolated. You just start to isolate things. So remember, I've been doing this for the nutrition thing probably about 10 Really effectively, three. Mid-range, five. So I I started for two years. In years, years, that is. In years, yes. So that's how I kind of got into a clean diet where I knew what worked for my body. And this is, again, just very practical advice for people. Start removing one thing at a time. My recommendation is start with sugar and seed oils and then move from there. But we'll talk about that in the more scientific part. Then you get to a point where I'm pretty much eating meats, high carbohydrate intake because with CrossFit, you need loads of energy. That was coming from a lot of grains at the time. 
um, and then various forms of fats that were, you know, good, healthy fats. And I, I just couldn't eat enough food. I think I needed at the peak of my competition career, it was like 4,800 calories a day just to not lose weight. Yeah, that's wild. I would be, I think it'd be 8.30 at night for two and a half years straight. I could eat guac if there's like onion or some type of acid has helped cook the ingredients a little bit. It doesn't hurt my stomach. So I knew that I just didn't eat enough during the day. I'd eat like 4,700 calories or whatever. And then I'd look at my whoop strap and I'd see how much I expense at the gym. It's like 1,200 calories. I'm like, man, I got to eat two more meals. Sometimes yeah, it becomes like, a chore. It's that's, a, it was a chore. That's how I, I felt would like sit on the couch and, and eat chips bit. and guac. I ran at 2.5% body fat, 3% body fat for four years straight. I mean, I was 208 pounds. And I'm six foot, 208 pounds, 3% body fat. And you could talk to my wife and she'll tell you he never stops eating. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. But let's circle this back to, um, you know, the, the, the nutrition side of things. Okay. Yes. So you start removing the foods that feel bad or that make you feel bad. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's get into the nutrition side of things. What has been one of the biggest learnings for you on the nutritional side that could be applied to broadly many people listening to this podcast? So practical advice, food is fuel for your body. You need to understand base. People talk about macronutrients all the time. And I think it's one of the most abused things in, in, nutrition, but it's the entry level in the nutrition. That's carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. You need to understand what those things are used for in the body. So you want to have a balanced intake of those things. Right now, the American diet is heavy carbohydrate-based, heavy fat-based. I found that for my body and what I've found just from other people and reading studies and a couple of other things, it's actually, you know, high-protein diets, and high fat diets tend to work well. I'm not advocating for like super high fat diets, but I do eat a mostly animal based diet right now. And that is heavy in proteins and fats and animal fats is where a lot of the fats are coming from. I use carbohydrates when I am going to go work out. I'll eat them, a lot of them before I work out and I eat a lot of them after I work out. I have found through my own one variable test, if you pull out, carbohydrates for me specifically before a workout and after a workout, I feel like death in the workout. Mind you, I'm pushing my body to its limits. If you're just at the Globo gym lifting weights, you might correlate it to a very small decrease yeah, in your output. if you're doing high-intensity CrossFit training, I If your heart you rate is heavily elevated, yes, for long periods of time, you're going to notice when those carbohydrates aren't there. So again, this is why... I say anecdata because I was pushing my body to its limits and beyond its limits. And I knew because I'm a highly analytical person, what I did that day, if I didn't drink enough water, if I didn't eat enough food, if I didn't eat enough types of the food, whether it's carbohydrates, fats, or proteins, my body would feel a certain way. And so the best thing that I could tell people is start with protein first. You need fat in your diet, not bad fat, but good fat and use carbohydrates for one of two reasons. It's before or after a workout or you're trying to go to sleep. Carbohydrates trigger your sleep hormones in your body. For me personally, okay. that, that's okay. what I use carbohydrates for. Per, okay. So car- carbohydrates trigger the sleep, sleep hormone, hormone in your body. Why would you eat them before you work out? So good question. Your body will reach for glucose first for its energy sources. 
that's going to come from the form of carbohydrates. So yes, it sounds counterintuitive, but if you eat carbohydrates, and I'm not saying eat sugar, I'm saying if you eat complex carbohydrates before a workout or fruits or a couple other things, that's going to give you the energy you need to sustain your activities during the workout. And then what you do is immediately after the workout, you want to replace the glycogen stores in your body. So that's why you want to ingest more carbohydrates. So your muscles are ready for the next time you use them. Okay. So glycogen stores are stores of energy near the muscles in your body? Uh don't quote me. I'm not a scientist. Glycogen stores are what your body is going to reach for first when it needs energy. And what and, and those live in fat cells, those live in your muscle. I don't actually know about the science behind that, but specifically speaking, you're going to should've, you should have got a degree in biology. <laughs> yeah, my degree is in computer science. Your not, eyes would not, like you. Not in biology. <laughs> um, it's you're going to put those back into your body so your body can use them when it needs to again. Because when it doesn't have them, it has to reach for alternate fuel sources, right? And those are the most readily available fuel sources that you have in your and body. And so you eating carbohydrates help you out with this and not go to sleep. How? So when you work out, your heart rate's elevated. You're going to get endorphins being released post-workout. It's going to induce stress hormones in the body. Uh, good stress hormones, by the way. And you're going to basically cycle your body. You're going to get it up and moving, and then you're going to shut it down as you stop working out. That is your body's normal function, and carbohydrates are needed to support that. So you sort of circumvent. I can't speak to the exact science like somebody like an Andrew Huberman could, Yeah, but you're not actually going to put yourself in a deficit by eating carbohydrates before you work so out. So if your heart rate's low, it's not elevated, and you have some carbohydrates, it's going to trigger. That's that's why people say like, oh, a sugar high, boom, they have all this energy and they crash. Right. Or you have or, a bunch of bread with peanut butter before you go to bed, and you're like, I how many people like a go baby? to Thanksgiving? Exactly. Or how many people eat a Thanksgiving dinner at four o'clock and take the best nap they've ever had, or they just fall asleep for twelve hours? That's the food coma, right? The carb coma that they call it. That's why it's because it triggers the sleep hormones in your body. Interesting. So now, so eat carbohydrates what? before or after workouts, and I'm not advocating to eat a crap ton of them before you go to bed, but I like to use them with my dinners. My dinners are two hours before I go to sleep to help trigger the sleep hormones. In my yeah, body. healthy amount of carbohydrates. Carbohydrates does not mean like uh, a bowl of pasta with butter. That is not carbohydrates. That's uh, an it could, excessive it, amount it, of it, carbohydrates. It could be pasta with butter. It depends on how much. But I mean like a cup of rice, a cup of cooked rice with some steak and veggies. Yeah, that's yeah. solid. You know, and it, every, it's everything in moderation and proportion to your body. I think that's the best thing. It's, so, all, it's all relative. You actually talked about scaling uh, workouts previously. In relativity, not in the form of physics, but in terms of your capabilities, is highly important. So, if you're highly capable, you should be eating a high amount of food. If you're not exerting yourself a significant amount, you should not be. You eating should be a eating to amount. your to your levels of exertion. Exactly, it's all relative. So, which is really interesting too, because I know if your body's under stress, it's not recovering, etc. Hormones play a huge role in your body's ability to regulate itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what have you learned about food's impact on the role of hormones in the body as it relates to building muscle, losing body fat, you know, having a consistent amount of energy throughout the day? So 
I think that's a little bit more scientific than I want to get for this specific segment. Because uh, I'm not the appropriate okay, well, person. Okay, we got some who's tips gonna, and tricks in there. Yeah, I, I'm not the appropriate person who's going to cite the exact science for you. I can if I have all the studies in front of me and I have all my notes together because I've studied this myself and I've put these things in place. But this is not something that I just keep readily available for me <laughs> to just spit out to you. And there's a lot of people that do this really well and effectively. And I don't want to step in their space because that's not my lane. This is my hobby and these are the things I've done for myself. What I can tell you, food is fuel and stress hormones in the body, there are good and bad stress hormones. And when you go to the gym, you're placing stress on your body, which leads to stress hormones in your body. But that's good because that helps your body trigger its physical adaptations to what you're asking it to do. Food, hydration, and sleeping are how you keep that system in homeostasis. So if you're not doing one of those things and you're constantly putting these physical stresses on your body, all your stress hormones get elevated and your body's not cycling to help recover them. That's that's the the bro science. So what I just heard you right? say is the key to finding your consistent health, whatever you define it as, it involves a foundation built on consistently eating a healthy amount of food, consistently getting enough I don't, sleep. I don't want to confuse healthy in there. Healthy is subjective. It's eating the amount of food for you based on the amount of energy you've expensed for the day or how much you've moved. Perfect. Yeah. And then it's also getting a consistent amount of sleep relative to how much sleep you need to recover. Mm-hmm. And the whoop strap is a great tool to try to tool manage that. For folks who don't have or can't pay for a whoop strap, it's $30 a month plus you have to buy the band. So these, these, you these can are great. try to go to sleep consistently at the same time, and you want to help set your circadian rhythm, view the sunlight as it comes up in the morning at the sunrise, and as the sun sets, you want to basically get out and get as much of that sunlight in your eyes at both of those times of day. That will help set your circadian rhythm, dim your lights in your house, turn your TVs and your screens off and your phones off, or adjust the brightness and turn them all the way down. You, as the sun goes down, our body's biology is meant to, to shut down and prepare for sleep. And so you can actually do a lot of negative things for your hormones if you're not consistently going to sleep at the same time or if you're waking and getting these surges of light in your eyes. That system, and Andrew Huberman's got a ton of information on this, is largely... Andrew his, Huberman is a PhD from Andrew Stanford Huberman is a, is a Huberman is a... He's a professor of neurobiology at Stanford and he also runs a podcast called The Huberman Lab where he basically goes off the rails... Uh, into all of these topics from a scientific perspective, it's really great for people like myself who they pl- they hack with all of they hack with themselves to make themselves better from a biological perspective. Um, if you're not really a scientific person, I just gave you the spiel of his some of the stuff <laughs> in this podcast. So I'll save you a little bit of time there. But if you want to know the actual science behind it, he'll definitely go into the details for you. Yeah, isn't it fun having something to do? You know, yeah. adjusting your mic. No. It's like, this is not in the perfect position. I just yes. need to get this right in the perfect yeah. position so, my, so I can hear myself in these nice headphones. That uh, is, so, so, with, so sleep, that, nutrition, and working out. The three most important things. What about the group of people who are like, I am not an athletic person, I'm not a gym person, um, but I just want to be healthy. Obviously, sleep and what you eat are the two things that you, we've said to focus on in this podcast is there anything from the nutrition side 
that could apply to both crowds. Folks who like to go to the gym, folks who maybe don't like to go to the gym, maybe they like to ride their mountain bike or they maybe like to go out and trail walking, you know, more practical, normal, you know, uh, sort of consistent so, behaviors out in nature. So I want to I want to answer that question. I want to give some background here. So I the last three years since I stopped competing, I really put a lot of effort into nutrition and health and anything that could potentially go in my body or touch my body, et cetera. And all of that has really led me to a couple of key things that I wish I knew when I first started competing in CrossFit. I talked about setting your circadian rhythm and the lights in your house, okay, for sleep and having a consistent sleep cycle. Then it is the quality of the water that you're drinking. So not having anything like fluoride in your water, chlorine in your water, any total dissolved solids, any pesticides, any fertilizers, any hormones. Okay, so that's a big one, all right? Then it's certain ingredients that would disrupt your gut microbiome and the health of your gut microbiome, which is responsible for a lot of the functions in your body and especially your immunity. Um, and then atop of that is your your sleep and your just general overall health and well-being and how all of those things affect it. Fast forward to where I'm at now, an animal-based diet with properly sized carbohydrate sources is the number one thing. And then I've actually added in some leafy greens back into my diet, even though I do advocate for an animal-based diet. Because Max Lugavere has been doing a lot of really good research when it comes to dementia and a couple of other things. And so we talk about the physical adaptations of when you're in the gym and you're wanting to get your body to have these adaptions to put on muscle and to basically develop your body. Turns out that they're also finding out some information right now that while your body's not necessarily meant to ingest plants specifically, and you know Paul Saladino is uh, big on this one <laughs> with carnivore MD. He's a medical doctor. Yeah. 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 So he's a wildly great resource from a scientific perspective on, on what's going on. But and he has a great is, podcast called Fundamental Health. Yeah, look it up. And he talks about plant defense chemicals, but basically what Max Lugavere has found is if you want to help prevent dementia or like basically brain brain memory loss, I don't the yeah, it, the, it's the medical a lack of the function me- of the brain. Yeah, yeah. The medical term for these things is is escaping me at the moment. Again, should have got a biology degree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he basically comes out and he's talking about if you eat an animal-based diet, with, and I pretty much eat exclusively red meat, so that's going to be bison, cow, and elk. Um, add a little bit of that in there. They've been finding that the stress that you get in your, in your gut from the leafy grains, your body can actually have a little bit of an adaptation from that. Go figure. If you can do it for your body from a... a a muscle tissue perspective, can you do it in other ways? It seems like it would be plausible. So they're finding that that's actually helping prevent dementia and Alzheimer and uh, Alzheimer's and a couple of other things. So that's why I've added it into my diet. I probably eat it two, three days a week. Um, so leafy greens being kale, spinach, anything else? Uh, kale and spinach is pretty much what I eat. Mostly kale, if I'm being okay. honest. The water. That you have in your house. I got a whole house water filter put in our house to strip out a bunch of stuff. And then um, all of the fragrances, 
that are around you? That was another big one. So that's kind of a horrible thing. Yeah, if disruptor. you're from East Palestine with, uh, you know, that a uh, really unfortunate uh, environmental disaster from that train derailment, um, obviously water filter systems are really great. Curtis, you yes. have a recommendation for water filter systems? Uh, I like the Aquasana water filter systems. Yep. It's Aquasana. Yeah. And, and cost for that. Uh, would fil- I mean, from my understanding, it would filter out fluoride, chlorine, and all that stuff, but it also filter out PFOAs, the chemicals. PFOCs, uh, yeah, it, pesticides. It would f- it, it actually filters out the exact chemical um, that's the East in. Palestine train yeah. spill. The, they're expensive to get put in. I mean, you're probably, you know, anywhere from one to three, one to one, one grand, a thousand to 2,500 bucks for the actual system, and then you, about a thousand bucks to get it installed. That's just general ballparks. It's going to vary based on the area you live in. Uh, they also have clear, clearly filtered has water filters that will will pull that exact contaminant from the the spill in Ohio. It's literally on clearly filtered's list of things it pulls out of the water. So you could just take some highly contaminated water and get perfectly pure water from their filters. So awesome, uh, great recommendations. Yeah. There. Okay. So move, moving back on because I did a little mm-hmm. tangent on the water side. So you said the water is really important. Now continue. Food. I'm sorry. Sleep, food, and water are all highly important. I've removed fragrance out of as many places as possible. Fragrance is in your laundry detergent. It's in your shampoo. It's in your conditioner. It's in your body wash. It's in your cologne. It's in your dishwashing soap. It's in your hand soap. It's in the things you plug into your outlet to give yourself a nice smell. It's in your candles. It's in your lotions. It's in your lotions. It's a hormone disruptor. So anything that goes against your, anything that's, that's causing problems for your hormones or is disrupting your gut microbiome, or disrupting your recovery. Those are like my three staples for for health and fitness for me. Had I known that, you know, ten years ago, I would have been in, in a much different place so, because a lot of those things were still around me at the time. Let's let's wrap this up on in this last topic once we're done with this. So, gut health with your gut microbiome, keeping your hormones in check, mm-hmm. and your sleep cycles. Mm-hmm. All those seem to be fairly interrelated. These are all things that I've been really new with learning too. Right. And from my understanding, allergies are impacted potentially by your immune system, right? Um, uh, as I understand it, correct. But, but, so you, but, but hold on. So as I say, that's connected largely to your gut microbiome. I went on the carnivore diet for nine weeks, hardcore, literally nothing but animal products. Sorry, vegans. And I had the most amount of energy I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. I felt the best. My allergies went away. Um, and I've been dabbling with foods, trying to incorporate other foods back in. And largely, uh, I have you know just digressed backwards for how good I feel. I still look good in the mirror, but like I don't feel as great. When you were talking about gut health and you were talking about, you know, regulating your hormones and good sleep cycles, mm-hmm. why is it that when I incorporated some types of grains and some types of vegetables and things back into my diet, why did that feel so bad? Obviously, I know why, but, you know, what are some of the ingredients in there that are controversial and that cause problems? So you have to, with everything that I've looked at, you have to look at the biology of human beings and the evolution of human beings. We didn't, if this was 200 years ago, 
Would you be able to eat some of the foods that you're eating today? No, they don't make Cheez-Its. No, they don't make a lot of these things. We don't have a lot of refined processed carbohydrates. And so your body, like when you were hunter-gatherers, you didn't really have access to, to, you know, like monocrop agriculture or farmed agriculture. So you're not going to have access to rice or a lot of grains, et cetera. I mean, they started to get access to grains, you know, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago or, or whenever. Like, I'm not a super big historian on when that happens. But, you know, when you when you think about cavemen, like, they were largely just, they were foraging or they were scavengers scavenging on whatever was left from a kill. So they were eating a lot of parts of the animal that, you know, whoever killed it, which was another animal didn't eat. So it wasn't a lot of the meats. It was the other parts of the animal. So, um, amino acids and and lipids, right? Your fats and your proteins are really what the human biology naturally wants to be eating. And so when you take a Western diet and you add a lot of really processed carbohydrates in there, it starts to fuck a lot of stuff up. Is there any ingredients that are really controversial? Uh, I think a lot of people. Oh, seed oils, seed oils through the roof. (laughs) 100%. Hundred percent. So, um, this is the most wild anecdata that I have. I can, you can put ten plates of food on this table, and put seed oil in one of them, and I will tell you within five minutes of eating it which one has seed oil in it. That, Interesting. That is how good I've become at, at just listening to what my body's telling me, and this is why seed oils for anybody out there, like if you're going to rip one thing out of your pantry and get rid of stuff, if it has canola oil, grapeseed oil, rapeseed oil, cottonseed oil, palm, palm oil, um, soybean oil, soy lectin, uh, sunflower oil. Um, I said rapeseed. I already said canola, right? You nailed it. Yeah. Avocado and olives. They're technically on there too, but no, no, avocados are not they're, on there. They're, they're not a seed. And uh, polyunsaturated. Olive oil is not a seed. Olive is a fruit. There's a pit with the olive around it. So if you're going to be eating fats or the oils you want to see in your foods, you want to see olive oil. And I'm not advocating which one of these are the best, by the way. Olive oil, coconut oil, avocado oil. Pretty much yep. the only ones I would. And I if you don't like olives, you're allergic to tree nuts. Or anything like that. Um, butter is great, regardless of what they said about butter when margarine was a thing back in the 1950s. Uh, uh, hold on, hold on. Grass-fed, grass-finished butter. Okay. That's if you, if you, for folks out there who want to hedge against their bet, just go, it, like if you can't get anything from anywhere but you have a Costco, Costco has a 95% grass-fed, grass-finished butter in some place. If they don't have that, buy the Kerrygold. Kerrygold's a good hedge. Um, Flav City. Who's somebody on Instagram and on YouTube? He's got all. Uh, he's really big into reading the ingredients and labels and knowing what's in there. And he's also a really damn good cook himself. He's basically done the research and he had found that hey, Kerrygold. What happens when they have grass-fed, grass-finished? Is the cow is fed grass, and it's also finished at the end of its life with grass. It's not put to a feed lot before it gets slaughtered to fatten the cow up. So Kerrygold. They had their grass-fed cows, but when they had to bring them in time, bring them in for the winter time, there's no grass, right? So they had to feed them grains. Well, Kerry Gold actually he had he had found out this specific 
issue with Kerrygold's cows and he had actually made called them out on Instagram and Kerrygold actually got back to him. Kerrygold slid into his DMs <laughs> and, corrected him and pointed him to a part on their site where they actually disclosed this information. So, you know, Kerrygold is, it's a great, like if you have a, a lot of people in your family and you're like, oh my God, I want to get rid of these things. Um, you know, not all olive oils are the same. Yeah. But any olive oil is going to be better than canola oil. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. So let's and let's then, talk let's then, talk about seed oils. A lot of you out yeah. there might be like, hey, seed oils, uh, why are these a bad thing? Well, let's say you eat blackberries or you eat some type of fruit that has seeds in it, right? Uh, you're not going to normally digest those things. When you uh, go to the bathroom, right? Yeah, you'll usually have those seeds still intact in your stool. And um, in nature, like if an animal eats those or something to poop them out, you know, that's how they get fertilized. And that's actually how, uh, in some cases, those cells get triggered or those uh, seeds get triggered to actually start their reproductive process right, and start growing into a plant. Seed oils basically take the thousands of those seeds that are left over from the processing of all these foods. And the food manufacturers have basically said, how can we turn this into an ingredient that we can make money on? How can we turn waste into profit? Right, exactly. Yes. And so they take thousands of seeds, depending on what type of seed it is, and they press them down into oil, maybe a thousand seeds, maybe a tablespoon of oil. They have to run it through a chemical process. They have to add uh, fragrance to it because it smells really bad, et cetera. So let's think about this. Well, well hold on. Well, I want to well, correct you. I don't think they add fragrance to anything. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm sorry. I watched. Uh, I was watching a video that basically said that in they some deodorize cases, it. Thank they, you. That was what it was. It. Deodorize. Yeah. I stand corrected. Thank you. Uh, I just think to myself like this: if you can eat it naturally and your body doesn't digest it, don't eat it. Why should we be taking it, processing it, and making it to a, f- a form where? Then all of those compounds that were within that seed that we weren't supposed to be digesting, now all of a sudden we can digest. So in my mind, that has to just wreak havoc on it wreaks havoc on your it. on your body. And I, I'm not a scientist, but I can just tell you, and I, I'm same there, same right there with you. Anecdotal evidence from my own my own personal yeah, experience. Anecdata, yeah. Uh, butter is by far the best thing I've ever cooked with, and it consistently makes me feel great butter and ghee yes. and i used to use vegetable oil and stuff like on my 36 inch blackstone skillet and clean it off and it's like the moment i got rid of that the heaviness the lethargic feeling um the bloated feeling the inflammation after eating it like once you get rid of just seed oils in your food mm-hmm. it's amazing how you feel so let's talk about some good recommendations so, so, here because we also have to wrap up hold on let yeah. me continue so uh, seed oils are really notorious in breads especially non-organic processed breads so what can you do for that they're in everything oh, hold on i'm gonna i'm gonna get to that what can you do for that sourdough breads they cannot add any additives into sourdough breads because of the way um, sourdough is made i have seen seed oils and sourdough okay but in most cases sourdough is usually a really good bet that seed oils tend to be in the least amount of sourdough brands uh from, I w- from what I've seen com- in comparison to all of the other brands. If I'm just thinking about shopping and looking at, at labels on, on the bags of bread, I think you might be right, but I have seen seed oils in sourdough Because when I've gone into the grocery store and I've looked into sourdoughs, largely all of the sourdoughs that I've looked at have not had seed oils. And maybe I just haven't found that one brand that does. But like Boudin's, you know, and any of your local bakeries, you know, I have found, at least in my, my area where we do our grocery shopping, they don't have those. But if you go and you look at like 
a whole wheat bread that's not organic or you look into a white bread, it's like almost every single one of them have canola oils. If it's in a box, if it's a protein bar, if it is, you know, uh, popcorn, if it's chips, if it's anything like that, there's pretty much a universal guarantee there's going to be some type of seed oil in that. And it, that's terrible. Also, like popcorn, you think I'm just eating pop popcorn kernels. It's like, no, that is what they lined the bag with that you put it in the microwave. That's all oily that you get all over your fingers. And you go, ah, oh, I just wouldn't like it. I mean, it is literally. It's a combination of crap oils and salt and a few other things. And everything. That you really don't want to eat, but they know that there's certain types of salts that when they hit your tongue, they actually make you want to eat the thing more. And, and there's a lot of dirty if, tricks in the food industry. And if you guys would like to learn more about this, about seed oils and everything else, you can go to Zero Acre Farms. They've got a right, uh, great write-up on their blog post. Paul Saladino is a Paul C- or he's a he's he's a uh, seed oil hater. Yeah. Uh, and again, that's Carnivore MD, and you can listen to him with Fundamental on Health yeah. on the Fundamental Health podcast. Uh, so th- that's a great thing to pull out of your diet. So now, as we wrap this up, um, final closing thoughts. Uh, do we have like another fifteen or twenty minutes? Because there's a we've hit on a couple topics, and I I want to give my summation and summaries of my fifteen years of experience to people about a few different topics, so they can have practical takeaways for things like how do I get better sleep, how do I have better nutrition, how do I know how to get the most out of the gym without wasting my time. Fifteen seconds. <laughs> Just kidding. Fifteen minutes. Okay. Go. So. When it comes to sleep, it, it's really coming down to being consistent and being on a schedule. You got to dim the lights in your house. You got to get away from the screens. You need to get the early morning sunlight in your eyes to wake you up and the late afternoon, evening sunlight in your eyes to help you start to set your circadian rhythm so you can go to sleep. Okay, that's the most fundamental thing about being a human being. We are not nocturnal. When the sun goes up, we are up. When the sun goes down, we are down. The, the biggest thing I've learned about sleep in 15 years of, of high-end physical performance, what you're sleeping in in terms of the temperature of the room, our bodies actually get lower in temperature as we go to sleep. And as you start to wake up, as your body cycles on, your temperature rises. So wherever you're sleeping, you need to get that area cool enough. For me, cool enough is between like 65 and 68 degrees. For your body to get into a state where it's going to be able to sleep. There's been a lot of people who probably say they woke up and they were just really hot. Well, it's your body's cycling back up. Or in the summertime, you don't get good sleep if you're really hot. Well, that's one of the reasons why. Okay. Nutrition. Shop around the perimeter of a grocery store usually a good hedge against your bet if it comes in a box or has a drive-through probably don't eat it if you don't want to take any of those things into account if you could redo if you could remove seed oils from your diet or seed oils from half of your diet then you get rid of half the food in your house has seed oil or you finish eating it and then you don't buy it again you buy a substitute and sugar if you can get rid of seed oils and sugar you're going to solve a lot of your problems. If you want to have a hedge against your bet and you don't want to do a lot of the research, start shopping at Whole Foods. A lot of Whole Foods prices have come down since Amazon bought them a few years back. Um, 
I'm not saying to like shop there for everything you need because you should kind of know where everything's at. But maybe like if you see it at Whole Foods and then it's in like your knockoff grocery store, it's the same thing, right? You might get it for a little cheaper price. So you have to know to grocery store shop around. But Whole Foods, Whole Foods suffers from the seed oil issue too. So you really have to know how to how to read the labels. If you see anything seed oil, <laughs> or or like sunflower, if you see oil, anything that says oil, and it's not are, olive, or coconut, or avocado, odds are it's a seed oil. Don't eat it. <laughs> so also anything with soy, soy lectin, which um, is an emulsifier. It's that's commonly found in a lot of things. That's also a seed oil, and it's an anti nutrient. Uh, a lot of people don't know that, and there's a I'm, whole. Is it a seed oil? I'm not sure if that is. Uh, soy lectin, I, at least from the research that I've done, uh, it falls underneath that category. And soy lectin also is an anti nutrient, which can block, at least for me, reading whatever was on Wikipedia. So, I mean, I'm citing my Wikipedia sources, so take it for what it is. It's an anti nutrient, which uh, can mess with the digestive system. The gut microbiome. Digestive system's ability to uptake those nutrients yes so when we when you talk about having a healthy gut microbiome right this contributes a lot to it there so i talked about sleep and i talked about nutrition when it comes to the gym okay if you the number one thing is you want to be able to do something sustainably for 10 15 20 30 years for most people, it doesn't matter what age or what point in your life you're in. If you're in your early 20s and you want to be a banger and you want to be the best at CrossFit, like I got a, a reality check for you, you're probably not going to be it because it, that takes the most amount of dedication in the world to, to do. But if you want to go compete at a high level, um, you got to find the right gym with the right coaches. Okay. But if you're just somebody who you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and you're just trying to get in better shape because you want to hang out with your kids, you want to hang out with your grandkids. Even you, 70s. You, I've seen it. Yeah, there's 70s and 80s. I've coached people in their 70s and, and a couple people in their 80s. You want to find something that you can do that's going to help you meet your goals. So if your goals are you want to have more energy, start with your nutrition. But if you want to be stronger, which for everybody out there, and you said the people that like don't that don't want to go to the gyms, the number one thing is resistance training. You want to have the most muscle mass for as long as possible because what this does is this is going to keep you, one, able-bodied for as long as possible, and two, the more muscle mass you have, the higher your baseline caloric intake is. So for me, I need more calories to sustain myself than most human beings because of my muscle mass I have on my body. If you're very lean, guess what? You're probably very frail. Which means as you progress and you get older, you're only going to get more frail. So it is very important. Like if I could just tell people to do one thing, it's strength train in in the form of resistance training. And I'm not talking about bands. I'm talking about weights. That is the number one thing you want to do. For the people that are just trying to basically become more fit, I always encourage people to go to group-based fitness first. Okay. There's always a coach. I'm not the quality of the coach is important, but you have to be able to decipher for yourself what your metrics are of a good coach. For me, I'm gonna still some Liver King, 45 days natty. Uh, I love the guy, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, you know I love his message. Model, preach, and teach. 
if you have a coach wherever you're at, if they're coaching a class, if they're running the gym, if they're the gym owner, if the gym owner's fat, run. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. Yeah, if you're a personal trainer. You need is... to be able to model, preach, and teach. If you don't look the part and you can't talk about the part and you can't teach the part, you ain't the part. I mean, Mark Bell, the guy just gave himself rhabdo from running 120 days or something, like 116 or something like that. Mark Bell is a renowned power lifter. And he transitioned to running 116 days straight because he wants to run a marathon. He just, whatever he wants to do, he puts his mind to. And this is what I'm saying. If you if you were at a gym and Mark Bell was your coach, I would follow that guy because that guy's been in practice for 20 plus years. Okay. But if you got some heavy set 50 year old guy teaching a Les Mills body pump class, run. If he can't put the barbell all the way over his head, run. If you got some lady teaching a spin class and she can't keep up, get out of there. They're not going to be a person that's going to be able to bring you along on the journey or coach you along the journey or model what you want to be so you want to be around that person or to teach you what you need to know to help develop your body for whether it's cycling or whatnot. So, All right. Let's let's wrap it up with that. Let's wrap it up with that. I think that's a good closing point. So, um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Curtis Morty. Uh, my hobby is fitness my passion is food thank you very much and for some extra resources just to recap here uh paul saladino carnivore md 2.0 um at uh, liver king uh yeah yeah yeah, liver king 2.0 he's actually we didn't even talk about organ meats but yeah yeah, so um liver king's a a a bit out there he's a character he's a character you know so i wouldn't recommend him highly for but primals uh, needs to know no not on the (laughs) fitness spectrum uh also, who is Max Lugavere? Max Lugavere. And okay. Max Lugavere for what? Max Lugavere is, he has been doing a bunch of research um, and he doesn't come from a background in the form of uh, like actually studying food from a very scientific perspective. He, I believe he's a former journalist and his mom died and he's basically uh, of dementia and he's been on this train ever since of being a researcher, but it's all and about a researcher dementia for and dementia. Al- dementia and Perfect. Alzheimer's. And 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 in strictly relation to food. Yep. And then in addition to that, we Andrew also have Huberman. Andrew Huberman. Yes. And Andrew Huberman is a researcher from Stanford, and yes. he does a lot of study. And from what I, what I recall, uh, longevity is his main thing. No, no, longevity is. Uh, God, I could see his face in my head right now. Oh, he's the guy from Harvard. I mix him and him up. But uh, Andrew Huberman studies what? Yes, yes. Curtis, Andrew okay. Huberman studies what? Andrew Huberman is uh, he's a neuro he is a professor of neurobiology at Stanford and he runs the Andrew Huberman Lab podcast. Perfect. And then the last one on seed oils is Zero Acre Farms. Go, go Google Zero Acre Farms seed oil um, uh, on their a, blog. There's a couple other things in there. Mark Bell. Yeah. Mark, so Mark Bell. Bell runs the MB Strength Power podcast. I'm sorry, the Power Podcast. That's uh, not the MB Strength Power Podcast. It's the Power Podcast. And uh, there's also the Truth About Fluoride. We talked about fluoride very briefly. Yeah, truthaboutfluoride.org. That, that guy, I've, I, I've drawn a blank on his name off the top of my head. He's done a lot of research in that area as well. Those are some people that I think have a lot of really good information. And then uh, the water filters that we talked about too. Cl- clearly filtered. Um, it Clearly filtered is the winner from my book. However, zero water, it's at Walmart, et cetera. Highly accessible to everyone everywhere. That is a great choice. Fabulous. If you're looking for something for your water. And remember, shop around the perimeter of your grocery store. <laughs> Whole Foods is a hedge against your bet. But they still have seed oils. Still have seed oils. 
try to get to sleep consistently and on time. And when it comes to finding a gym that's going to work for you, the coaches and the people, if you're doing group-based fitness, are the they most important model, thing. teach, and preach exactly what you're aiming to do. Exactly. And if you are going to a Globo gym, which is just like a 24-hour fitness or a Gold's gym or, some, or an Anytime Fitness or a Choose or a Vasa or whatever it is, um, you want to find somebody who has quality programming that you can follow where you don't have to learn how to program for yourself because that's an art and it takes decades to learn and yep. you have to really understand the body. So and to recap programming means putting programming your means your workouts together. together for the day. There is somebody called Ryan Fisher. Uh, that's F I S C H E R. I think is how his last name is spelled. He's on Instagram. He's a great resource. He runs CrossFit chalk. Um, uh, there's a couple other people. I really like Ben's, uh, Ben Smith has, no, 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 not Ben Smith. Um, there's a guy named Sam Smith. He's a former P or former professional golfer. He runs big dogs athletics. You want to find people like them who can help you make workouts based on your specific needs and where your current fitness levels are at. So they can give you a roadmap for your success. Awesome. And so we covered sleep, we covered nutrition, we covered the gym, we covered resources, now you just got to go out and put it in practice consistently over time. And consistently over time is four out of seven days of the week because that's more than half. Yep. And uh, if you have any questions, feel free to let us know. Uh, contact at wagattack.com. Or if you have any questions for us in relation for topic ideas or video episode ideas, uh, let us know. But other than that, thank you very much. And we'll catch you next time. Yep. Pew.